Before I start, what does every good story have? Do you know? Pictures. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we've got a picture right up there, Justin, for you. It's going to be the same picture the entire story. <laughs> Kids, what else does every good story have? It's got a beginning, probably has a middle, and, and an ending. Yeah, we've got that today. Now, every story, every good story also probably has some good guys, right? Probably has some bad guys. Yeah. Maybe has some guys, some action. Yeah. And ladies, probably a love story in there. Luckily, we have all of that in today's story. So, kids, what I want to invite you guys to do is color and listen to the story, and I'm going to ask a few questions occasionally throughout, and if you're not listening, then maybe the adults will listen. Okay? Okay. <laughs> this is the story of Esther, as found in the Holy Scriptures. These events happened in the days of King Xerxes, who reigned over 127 provinces stretching from India to Ethiopia. At that time, Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days. A tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. Did you guys catch that? That is a six-month party. Wow. That is a long party. When it was all over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the, court, the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings, which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble, marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on the mosaic pavement of porphyr, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs. There was probably chocolate milk in there too. And there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking, for the king had instructed all of his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. Now at the same time, Queen Vashti gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes. On the seventh day of the feasts, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told seven eunuchs who attended him, Mehaman, Biztha, Harbana, Biktha, Abagatha, Zether, and Carcus. Can you guys repeat those names? Carcus, close enough. <laughs> uh, so the king told seven people who attended him to bring Queen Vashti to him with the royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty. For she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king very angry. He was furious and he burned with anger. Now he immediately consulted with his wise advisors, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. The names of these men 
were another group of big names that we probably wouldn't be able to remember. So I'm just going to say they were some, a group of really smart men. Seven nobles of Persia and Media, they met with the king regularly and held the highest positions in the empire. What must be done to Queen Vashti, the king demanded. What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders properly sent through his eunuchs? One of his men answered the king and nobles, Well, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn what the queen did, how she has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating her husbands the same way. There will be no end to the contempt or anger. So if it pleases the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of the king and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives. The king and his nobles thought that this made a good sense, so he followed this gentleman's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. All right, kids, did you catch any of that? What, what's happening? What's happening in the story? That's exactly right. The king is going to get a new wife because the queen didn't come when he called for her. Ezra? All the husbands will be the rulers of the households. Don't answer out there, but... Wives, what would you think? Every time your husband summoned him, would you come immediately? Don't answer. What do you think is going to happen next? Let's keep going. After, er, but after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree that he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, let us search the entire empire to find beautiful young women for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that all are given beauty treatments. After that, the young women who most pleases the king will be made queen instead of Vashti. The advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan in place. Now, At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa, who was named Mordecai. He was the son of Jer, and he was from the tribe of Benjamin and a descendant of Kish and Shemi. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiakim of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a beautiful and lovely cousin, Hadassah, who was called Esther. When her father and mother had died, Mordecai had adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. Now, as a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. 
He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided, provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids specifically chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place at the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before the young women were taken to the king's bed, she was given a prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning, she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives lived. There, she would be under the care of another of the king's eunuchs who was in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless, she had especially, unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Esther was the daughter of Abahel, who was Mordecai's uncle. Again, Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin, Esther. When it was Esther's turn to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem. She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign, and the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young women had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following Mordecai's directions just as she did when she lived in his home. All right, anybody at this table know who the new, king, the new queen is? Esther. Yeah? Esther, right? Very good. And does the king know that she's a Jew? No. no. Nice job, man. Good listening. Here's a little side plot that takes place. It says, one day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthana and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became very angry at King Xerxes, and they plotted to assassinate him. That part's for the guys in here. But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharp pole. Wow. This story was recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. Some time later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamandatha, the Agite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down and show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. 
When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to just lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Guys, what's happening? You guys are girls. Guys, anybody, what's happening? Jack, do you know? Nope. JJ, do you know? Nope. Do you know? What's going on in here? Is Haman happy or sad? Or is he angry? He's angry, yeah. Now, is he going to just try and go beat up uh, Mordecai, or is he going to try and beat up all the Jews? All the Jews. Well done. Zach Rose, your son listens. He's in the nursery. Good job. So in the month of April, during the 12th year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. The day was selected was March 7th, nearly a year later. Then Haman approached the king and said, You know, there's a certain race of people scattered throughout all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from the finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamandatha the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. Now the king said, the money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Haman had dictated. It was sent all over his empire. He said, Kill all the Jews, and anyone who kills the Jews can have the property that they have. Now, a copy of this decree was issued as law in every province to all peoples, so they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. After this command was sent out, the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa fell into confusion. And here's where we're going to pause for just a few moments. Kids, go ahead and put down your crayons. We're going to have you go back to your mom and dad and sit with them while we sing a little bit more. And then I'm going to invite you back up to figure out what's going to happen next. So kids, go ahead and go back to your parents. Uh, In just a moment, I'm going to invite the kids back up, but not quite yet. Um... Raise your hand if you recognize that around the Christmas time, at least somebody in your house puts a lot of work and effort into cleaning and cooking. Okay, if your hand's not raised, the person sitting next to you, just go ahead and elbow them. Because there are people, not just in households, but in churches, that really put a lot of work into what goes on in the holiday season. Um, Hopefully, at the end of a Christmas Eve or the end of a Christmas day, uh, you go to the people and you thank them. You tell them how much you appreciate all the work. That they, uh, that they put forth, uh, the effort that they did. Um, hopefully that took place. If it didn't, um, feel free to turn to them now and say thank you, or turn to them later over lunch and say thank you. 
Um, the reason I bring this up is because uh, at the end of the year, we want to take a moment and just say thank you. Um, I know that you guys see in the bulletins and in the midweeks, just about every week, that we're constantly looking for children's volunteers. Um, you know, we, we need this such a person and this such a person. But I, I want you to hear from me and from Heather, who oversees children's ministry, how appreciative we are of all the people who do volunteer. And we recognize that First Church is probably not the norm because we have over 50% of our people volunteer in children's ministry in some form or fashion. That's amazing. So like if a life center had that, there'd be 2,500, 3,000 people volunteering for children's ministry. Uh, this year, Heather and I, we, we really, uh, again, we want to make sure you know you're appreciated. We know you're, you know you're valued. We actually got you guys a small gift um, a new car. Oh, wait, that was in the other box. It's a, uh, it's a cup. We designed a logo. It says First Church Ministries on it. A um, little straw. You can put water in there. You can drink. And inside should be a, a thank you card. Um, it's been a good year in our children's ministry, in, in the growth of our children. Um, I know this. Um, I know last January we had a, a marriage retreat where we talked about marriage and how it would affect the kids. And then uh, this fall we did an eight-week, I think it was an eight-week uh, visionary parenting series. And uh, at the annual meeting, I actually had a father turn to me and say, you know what, James? I have more spiritual conversations with my, kid, my kids now than I ever had before. I heard that and I thought, that's a success right there. We are discipling our kids. So um, we ordered 50 of these cups and realized that we have 48 volunteers, which is fantastic. So I, just, I, want, I want to thank you, and I would like you to be recognized. I'm not going to call you all by name because that's a lot. Uh, but if you work with children, whether it's on a Sunday morning in the nursery, in the toddlers, in the children's church downstairs, if you're welcoming them at the table, or if you work with Awana, if there's any other way you work with kids, go ahead and stand up. Thank you. Um, we're going to hand these cups out at the end. So after service, make sure you come up. If we forgot you, um, we didn't forget you. We just forgot you. So um, make sure you come up and let us know. There's cups, there's names on them, and uh, thank you. We truly do appreciate you. Um, kids, why don't you guys come back forward? Uh, I want you guys to catch us up on what we're doing, and we're going to ask the adults a couple questions just to make sure they were listening too. Okay, uh, let's see, I started this morning talking about every story needs a good guy and a bad guy. Who's the good guy in our story? Esther, definitely, she's a good guy, gal, gal. Who's the good guy? Another good guy in the story. Esther's cousin, Esther's cousin who's named? Starts with M and rhymes with Ordecai. Mordecai, good answer. That's the good guy. Who's the bad guy in the story? Anybody remember? Who's the bad guy? The king. The, well, yeah, kind of. The king's not that great a guy in the story. Yeah, very true. Who else? You remember? Haman. Haman. Yes, there's our bad guy. Okay. Now, I also said there was a love story in here. You guys remember who's involved in the love story? The queen. The queen and... 
the king. Good answer. Very good. Esther and uh, King Xerxes. And I said there'd be some action going on. Has there been any impaling on poles? Yeah, that happened once, I think. All right, let's see if the adults were listening. Um, adults, taking place so far? The start of the beginning. What took place at the beginning? Great, three people answered. Oh, there are six people answered. <laughs> Raise your hand. <laughs> what happened at the beginning? I'm sorry? A half a year celebration. Very big party. Good. And then what happened? Yes, the queen did not come when summoned, and somebody was very upset. Who was that somebody? The king. Good. So what happened next? And what I'm doing here, this is actually a technique used in uh, tribes that don't have written languages. It's storytelling. You repeat back. So you guys will remember the story good after today. What happened next? Yep, made a decree to get her out, and then he had some wise people tell him, let's get a new king with a whole bunch of beautiful women. A new, what did I say? A new king? A new queen. Thank you. Okay, so what happened next? What's that? He set up a minor league farm system of young women to find the best queen, yes. And the best queen was found. Her name was? Also known as? Hadassah, Hadassah and Esther. Great. Okay, that's the front part. Now, what happened next? See, this is like family sitting around telling the story. It's great. She, <laughs> well, all the women are like, she got six months of beauty treatment and got to go to a spa for a year. Yes. Okay, great. Yeah, they're, they're king and queen now. She got treated very well. Then along come the, the, this guy named Haman. The king appoints him, says, you're in charge of everything. And what happens then? He gets mad at Mordecai. Yes, because Mordecai would not do what? Bow to him. Okay, good. Um, so he comes up with this plan to do what? Kill all the Jews. Thank you, Art. And I think that's about where we left off in the story, right? Okay, the king and Haman sat down. They were going to have a drink. And everybody else in the entire city, there was a bunch of confusion. So we pick up the story in chapter 4, and because part of the story involves food, there are snacks up here. Awesome. Can you give me five? You know what you are now? What are you? You're a what? A PK Jordan? A PK Joy. Got it. Joy? Droid. Oh, he's a PK droid. Thank you. Sweet. That fits with Esther chapter 4, where we begin or continue our story. When Mordecai learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with loud and bitter wails. As he went out as far as the, uh, he went out as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And as the news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted and wept and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlap, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, 
one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as her attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went, to the, went out to Mordecai in the square in front of the palace of the gate, in front of the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of the decree issued in Susa that had called for the death of all the Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. So kids, what's the risk? If she goes to the king, he'll kill her. That's, a, that's the risk, definitely. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same, and then, though it's against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. So Mordecai went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Hey kids, how do you think Esther is feeling right now? She's going to go in to see the king, and she knows there's a risk that she might die. How is she feeling? Um, sad. Sad? Yeah, a little bit. Jack, can I see your hand go up? No? Okay. How do you think she's feeling? Kylie, do you know? Scared. Yeah, probably really scared. Not knowing what the next day is going to bring. Maybe double scared, I would agree. Double scared indeed. Chapter 5. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and he held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Everybody say, phew! Everybody out there say, phew. All right, we're all still listening. Then the king asked Esther, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half the kingdom. Esther replied, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet that I have prepared for the king. So the king turned to his assistants and, told, and said to them, Tell Haman to come quickly to the banquet, as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. And while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, Now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you, up to half of the kingdom. 
Esther replied, this is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king and it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet and I will, to the banquet I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what all this is about. I think she's got a plan. Now Haman was a happy man as he left the banquet, but when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furiously. However, he restrained himself and went on home. Then Haman gathered together his friends and Jeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. And then Haman added, and that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And she's invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, but... This is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there in the palace gate. So Haman's wife, Jareth, and all his friends suggested this. Set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet high and in the morning ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. Whoa. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. Now this pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. Does that sound like it's going to be a good day for Mordecai? No. That night, watch how God works, this is crazy. That night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. If you guys want to leave with a take-home point today, if you ever want to fall asleep at night, read history. And if you love history, I apologize. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Big, of Big Thana and Teresh, the two of the eunuchs who had guarded the door of the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. You guys remember this? Yeah. Now, what reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this, the king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Who was that in the outer court, the king inquired. Well, as it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole that he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out there in the court. Well, bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman king in, came in and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Now Haman thought to himself, <laughs> Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, If the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with the royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city on the king's horse. Have the official shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said 
For Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace, leave out nothing that you have suggested. So Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai. He placed him on the king's own horse and he led him through the city square shouting, This is what the king does for anyone he wishes to honor. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home dejected and completely humiliated. When Haman told his wife Jareth and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. Now while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And on the second occasion that this took place, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half my kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. Uh, If we had merely been sold as slaves, I would remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Now Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen, and then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining, just as the king was returning from the palace garden. Now the king exclaimed, "'Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my eyes?' As soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a, 70, a sharp, sharpened pole that stands 75 feet high in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from, from assassination. Well, then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole and that he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. And yet we don't know yet what will happen to the Jews. We'll tell you in just a moment after we sing a little bit more. Go ahead and put your crayons down. Go ahead and go back to your seats with your parents. You invite the kids to come forward. We're going to figure out how this story ends. There's three more chapters. I'm only going to read one and summarize the rest. All right, come on up. Grab your your chairs, your snacks, your crayons. We're going to keep coloring. Uh, So what's been happening in the story? We picked it up. uh, We finished the last time. Um, Where did we finish the last time? What happened in the story in section two? Anybody? Mike? Haman got in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, in multiple different ways. He ended up popsicled. Okay. And before then, sorry, that one slipped. 
Um, <laughs> before that, he was practically humiliated. Remember why? He had, he had to take Mordecai around the city proclaiming how great Mordecai was, right? He gave this idea to the king that you should treat somebody you want to honor this great and fantastic way, and then he had to do that to his arch enemy. Very good. And we left the story with uh, Mordecai or with Haman uh, not doing too well. So we pick up the story of how the Jews fared. This is Esther chapter 8, and then summarized 9 and 10. <clears throat> on that same day that King Xerxes gave the property, on the, on the same day that, that Haman was impaled, King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. Then Mordecai was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king how they were related. The king took off his signet ring, which had been taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. Then Esther went again before the king, falling down at his feet and begging him with tears to stop the evil plot devised by Haman the Agite against the Jews. Again, the king held out the gold scepter to Esther. So she rose and stood before him. Esther said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor with him, and if he thinks it is right, and if I am pleasing to him, let there be a decree that reverses the order of Haman, son of Hamandatha the Agite, who ordered the Jews throughout all the king's provinces to be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed? Well, then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, I have given Esther the property of Haman, and he has been impaled on a pole because he tried to destroy the Jews. Now go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's name, telling them whatever you want, and seal it with the king's signet ring. But remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed with the signet ring can never be revoked. So on June 25th, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Mordecai dictated. It was sent to the Jews and to the highest officers, the governors and the nobles of the 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. The decree was written in the scripts and languages of all the peoples of the empire, including that of the Jews. And the decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Mordecai sent the dispatchers by swift messengers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king's service. Now the king's decree gave the Jews in every city authority to unite to defend their lives. They were allowed to kill, slaughter, and annihilate anyone of the nationality or province who might attack them or their children or wives and to take the property of their enemies. The day chosen for this event throughout the provinces of King Xerxes was March 7th of the coming year. So a copy of this decree was issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that the Jews would be ready to take revenge on their enemies on the appointed day. So urged on by the king's command, the messengers rode out swiftly on fast horses, bred for the king's service. The same decree was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then Mordecai left the king's presence, wearing the royal robe of blue and white, the great crown of gold, and an outer cloak of fine linen and purple. And the people of Susa celebrated the new decree. The Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. In every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had great celebration and declared a public festival and holiday. 
And many of the people of the land became Jews themselves, for they feared what the Jews might do to them. Now, guys, chapters 9 and 10 talk about what happened on that day, March 7th, when uh, Haman's plan and Mordecai's counterplan took part. And in the story, there's a lot of people that die, and the Jews end up uh, defending themselves and surviving. And now Mordecai then uh, declares a two-day holiday to celebrate this event from then on. And they called that the Festival of Purim. And it says, He told them to celebrate these days with feasting and gladness and by giving gifts of food to each other and presents to the poor. This would commemorate a time when the Jews gained relief from their enemies, when their sorrows were turned into gladness and their mourning into joy. So, guys, did the story end up good in the end? Did Queen Esther survive? Did Mordecai survive? Did all the Jews survive? Did God move and work in this story? Yeah, and it's kind of fun to be able to read how God moved and worked in the history of people. And we too, with your parents, can kind of read our history. That's why I encourage your parents at the beginning of this service to think back to 2014 as to how God moved. Because I want to hear the story of God's continuing movement in our congregation. So, uh, you know what? You guys are enthralled with coloring. I'm going to invite the worship team forward to sing one more time. Kids, you guys can stay here and keep coloring as we sing one more song together.